0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How are you today? Good, 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 It's a variety of responses this morning. I hope you all are well. I am doing well. I want to thank you for uh, a couple of days off this past week. Some of you are saying, we gave you a day off. Yeah, you did. Uh, and... uh Kathy and I got out of town, and it was pleasant. It's one of the reasons I wasn't here this weekend for a couple of events that were just, I, I heard God just blessed our, our, our worship night, Friday night. I heard over 80 people were were here for, for that event, and God did some, yeah, praise God. God. God showed up and did some great stuff in the hearts and minds of those who came, and then Saturday morning, yesterday morning, um, I understood that uh, a pig or two were sacrificed uh, on the altar of men's ministry, and... Um, some fellowship was had and enjoyment took place around uh, a men's breakfast, and so we want to continue just to celebrate the good things that God is doing uh, around here. Um, if you take a walk outside of the, a- the atrium, yeah, I always call the atrium the annex and the annex the atrium. I get them mixed up, but if you take a walk out there, um, one of our, our church members who is working towards uh, completing everything uh, for his requirements as an Eagle Scout. Uh, his name is Xander Schultz. Xander has been working on a project now for literally months. That has come to fruition and uh, his Eagle Scout project he wanted to bless River Bluff with a fire pit out front just inside the edge of the woods out there so um, beautiful job and uh, I know some of you dove in and helped uh, with that project and it looks great and I, I hope to have uh, a little more on that with Xander down down the road probably sometime after Easter but check it out it's a it's a beautiful thing God's doing a lot of a lot of great things around here. Now, um, if you grew up in the era when I grew up, I grew up in that season when um, safety wasn't always the forethought in some of the games and recreational activities we played in. We didn't, we didn't have helmets for every activity. You know, there's like helmets, and some of you are saying, and it, we can tell, Joe. Um, but, we, you know, we didn't have helmets for every activity, and so it got into some games and activities sometimes it may not have always been the safest thing. Um, One of those games as a child that we play was this, I don't even, they may have banned it, I don't know. Um, It's called Red Rover, Red Rover. Does anybody remember Red Rover? You know, um, you'd have these two teams, they would be opposing, kind of lined up over across the field with space in between them. And um, after you got teams, you would link up arms, holding hands as tightly as you could, hanging on for dear life. And the opposing team might say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Joe right over. And your, the goal was to run through and just barrel through and bust open. You'd look for the weakest link and try to get through it. You know, one of the things that I have discovered about Red Rover is there, there were two kinds of people when it came to Red Rover. There were people who loved to have their name called. And there were people who hated to have their name called. And I can look by the expressions on some people's faces to tell which kind of person you are. Um, You know, you either loved it or you hate it having your name called. And some days in the world in which we live, it feels a little bit like life is a little bit like Red Rover. You know, there are people who just kind of barrel through. And then there are people who just kind of sit on their hands and try not to be noticed, you know. Uh, don't want to don't want to do that. You know, if you've been with us for the last um, many months around here, uh, we've been walking our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and you know that Jesus invites all of us into a relationship of blessing, regardless of what our current circumstances are. To see ourselves as life in the kingdom of heaven, if you have a personal relationship. With Jesus that no matter what your circumstances are you're one of the blessed ones and we find that we're able to become more and more free free from things like anger free from things like worry free from things like like lust becoming more and more honest about who we are and the struggles that that we have Um, knowing that God is at work you know learning to live in, in the kingdom of heaven learning how to love your enemies instead of persecuting them, how to bless those who might might want to curse you. We've learned to to live a life of prayer, of communion with God. We spent about six or seven weeks just diving into Jesus' great teaching uh, on prayer uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We learned how to live with kind of a a non-anxious presence in in this world. We learned that our good, good father that we sang about, we can trust in everything. And last week, uh, when we came to the teaching in uh, Matthew chapter 7, we we learned from Jesus how to not judge people around us, how to be for them. And we heard uh, Jesus' teaching earlier in that uh, Sermon on the Mount about how to be salt and how to be light in the kingdom. And uh, again, there there are kind of two kinds of people in, in the church when it comes to salt and light. There are people who, you know, have this salt and light, and they want to bowl everybody over with it. Just bang into people, knocking them down with the truth. And they're, they're the ones with their hands raised, Red Rover, send me right over, send me in, you know, kind of thing. And then there are people who sort of sit back a, a, a bit, maybe sit on their hands, and they're thinking, you know, I'd, I'd like to get in the game, but if I could be silent light you know, and, and I could be silent salt. I, I, I'd, I'd like to play that way. Um, I don't want to maybe engage as fiercely as, as some others might, might want to. Now, neither of those, I think, actually reflect the life of, of our Lord Jesus. And we just need to admit there's a tension that we live in in this world of interacting with people. How do we do it? How do we do it well? How do we interact well with people who wrong us? sin against us, do we bowl them over or do we sit in silence and just kind of suck it up? You know, today I think Jesus is going to point out a better way, the the kingdom way to live in that tension. So if you got your Bibles, you may want to open them to Matthew chapter 7. That's going to be our focus this morning and it's here that Jesus is going to introduce us to this third way and it flows directly out of what we studied last week. And so I need you to hear me say this. I am convinced that verses 7 through 12 are a continuation of verses 1 through 6. Now, I know in most Bibles there's a heading change. I am asking you today to disregard that heading. That is not actually Scripture. That's what an editor thinks this next section is about, okay? But it's not really in the, in the Scriptures when they were first penned. And what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to move us from this judgmental spirit to what is known globally as the golden rule. So let me back up real quickly because I want to keep the continuity here. If you weren't here last year, I want to give you kind of a one-minute synopsis of where we went last week. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said this, Judge not that you be not judged. Jesus said, Quit judging. And we spent a significant amount of time talking about the difference between two kinds of judgment extremes one one kind of judgment is discerning judgment that's the kind of judgment where you just simply acknowledge what reality is and we said we need it. discerning judgment but then on the other end of the spectrum is a different kind of judgment is condemning judgment and we said this is what jesus is talking about in matthew chapter 7 when he said do not judge jesus was not against discerning judgment Jesus is against condemning judgment, against us taking our gavels out and and declaring that somebody is broken, somebody themselves are like like sin because they think a certain way or because they believe something that may be wrong according to God's word. But instead of embracing and loving them, we, we condemn them. And Jesus said in the kingdom of God as kingdom citizens, there's a better way to live. And so Jesus moves us through that teaching, gets us to verse six, where we stopped last week. And Jesus said, and again, thinking of all of this in, in, in continuity, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And we said that, you know, pearls are good things. Pearls are, are, are treasures, they're valuable, they're precious, but not to pigs. They're worthless. They're, they're, they're of no value to, to pigs whatsoever. And so what Jesus is saying here to you and, and me is it's great to say true things to the world, but if you don't deliver it in ways that are helpful, it will not be a treasure to them. They won't know what to do with it. They'll just trample on it. And so Jesus, I believe, is continuing this same kind of thinking about how is he going to move us from these judgmental hearts these judgmental mindsets moving us to where the gold is the golden rule and so jesus teaches us in matthew chapter uh, 7 verse 12 a better way to live and the better way the gold is so whatever you wish that others would do to you verse this is verse 12 do also to them for this is the law and the prophet's now, Jesus takes us through some other thoughts on this before he gets us to this treasure room in, in kingdom living, and I need to say this. Uh, most folks, when you come to this teaching, you have a preconceived idea of what this is, is about, and I'm not denying that this passage of Scripture has something to do with prayer, but I'm going to unpack it just slightly differently today because I want to I want us to see it in the context. When uh, when I was in school, all of my professors said, when you're trying to do proper biblical interpretation, context is king. you got to look at the context if you want to properly interpret a, a passage of Scripture. And so I want us to look at this today in kind of the continuity of Jesus moving us from judgmental hearts to hearts of gold who are wanting to see others and treat them the way that we want to be treated. And so Jesus is telling us, you know, don't don't stop moving in that direction. So I want to apply these words uh, from Jesus today to to stop judging and move to start treating others the way that we would want to be treated. And that's going to be a kingdom journey. Now, one of the things that uh, I want to remind you of is that if you look at Jesus' teaching across all four Gospels, that there are times that Jesus uses some of the same words and same phrases in different contexts to accomplish different outcomes. His teachings oftentimes are the same words, but with a little bit different focus. And we don't have time to study all of these, but I just want to quickly give you three examples of some of this, Jesus saying the same things with kind of a different flavor, if you would. So like in Matthew chapter 6 that we've been studying, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and in Luke 6... Um, there is a version in both of those passages of the Lord's Prayer. Now, uh, Matthew 6 is called the Sermon on the Mount. Many refer to Luke 11 uh, as the Sermon on the Plain. And so these are two different contexts. This is not the same moment in time, uh, I believe. And Jesus, Jesus is using some of the same words, but he's using some different words. And he's teaching some things a little bit differently with a different focus. In John chapter 2 and in Mark chapter 11, there are two different moments when Jesus cleanses the temple. There's years in between them, a couple years in between those two cleansing. Jesus uses some of the same words, but he also uses different words. He has a different focus uh, in those two events, and, um, but, but they're similar in ways. A third place is in Mark chapter 6. We read the miracle of 5,000 being fed. Two chapters later, in Mark chapter 8, we read of 4,000 being fed. And those are two very distinct events. Um, They happen in similar kind of ways. Jesus uses some of the same language, some of the same teaching, but he also uses some different language, different words, different teaching, because he wants to focus a a little bit differently. And so, uh, again, context being king here, I want us to look at Verses 7 through 12 as a continuation of what Jesus was teaching us in Matthew 1 through 6 about judgment. So if you have your Bibles, read with me starting in chapter 7 of Matthew uh, and uh, verse 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asking for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asking for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, um, how, excuse me, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? Verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus here is saying we need to have this strategy, if you would, of asking and seeking and knocking. Is this about prayer? Certainly. There is a component of prayer here. But in the context of judgment, does it also possibly have another meaning for us? And I would say today, I think it absolutely does. Now, remember, back in verse 1, Jesus is saying, do not judge. And he is moving us from this lifestyle of judgment into the gold, which is a non-judgmental presence, where we see others in such a way that we want to do for them what we would have them do for us. And this is that... That thread that Jesus is going to pull, verse verse 12 is the thread that Jesus is going to pull from verse 1 all the way to verse 12. And I think this is an approach that Jesus is trying to give to his people to take to help us get there. To help us move from being people of judgmental hearts to people who desire to treat others the way that we want to be treated. I'm convinced Jesus is building a bridge here in these verses, that it's about a kingdom presence that you and I need to carry into the places and spaces where we live and learn and and work and play. And I think Dallas Willard does a marvelous job of of giving a summary thought to this, this passage in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through 12. I know some of you are thinking, so Joe, you're gonna read the summary and we're just gonna go home, right? No, no, I just want you to be captured by his summary. Uh, Dallas Willard writes these words. He says, instead of trying to control and condemn people with our judgments and our pearls, and in the context of that paragraph, our pearls are our, our human wisdom. He says, we approach them in humility while simultaneously standing before our good Father with our requests for them. So this passage, I believe, is about how to be released out into a a Red Rover world where we don't just try to bowl people over, where we will not be content with just sitting on our hands in, in, in silence, but instead that we would bring a kingdom presence into our world. So here's my attempt at summarizing these verses. I believe this, that if we navigate, that we have to navigate the tension of life in two kingdoms. Through mindful interaction and radical intercession. We've got to be doing two things at, at all times in relationships. We've got to have mindful interactions with people. And we've got to have radical intercession before the Lord for them. So as followers of, of Jesus' kingdom of heaven, we've got to, we've got to live as aliens in this world while being citizens of, of the kingdom of God. And that will require mindful interactions with people and radical intercession with God. So I'm going to dig into this passage. Now remember, we're, we're, we're coming out of verse 6, where Jesus says, no pearls for pigs. We're picking up in, in, in verse 7. Again, ignore that heading in your Bible, if you would, for today. And just continually, contextually reading verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. Now I hope you can hear Jesus here giving you and me a strategy for interacting with people in the world. That he's giving us a a way to move relationally. And so he says... If someone is in close proximity to you, if somebody is kind of right near you, um, that what you do is you ask them questions. If somebody is kind of distant from you and God puts them on your heart, you've got to go seek them. And if somebody has built a wall between you and them so that they kind of try to keep you out, that what you need to do is knock. And if you've lived long enough in this world, you know relationally there are going to be walls built. People trying to keep each other out of their lives. Now, Jesus says when that happens, we have to to knock in in a spirit of gentleness. This, This is how we operate as kingdom representatives in the world, moving from judgment, heading to the gold. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. So he's saying we've got to learn to humbly pursue others. And he gives us this threefold strategy. First is ask. When people are in close proximity to you, you and I need to learn to ask them really good questions. See, asking, in a spirit of gentleness, is not forcing myself on anybody. It allows me to stand beside somebody rather than to stand against them. If I will learn to ask really good questions. Asking is not a a debate. It doesn't have to be. Asking is actually a a kind of a communal a relational way of engaging, of seeking, uh, of being with someone. Again, Dr. Willard speaking on this says, Asking is the great law of the spiritual world through which things are accomplished in cooperation with God and yet in harmony with the freedom and worth of every individual. Friends, there is great power in asking questions. Do you know who who believes that at the core of their being? Four-year-olds. Four-year-olds believe it is wonderful to ask questions. Um, If you have one in your house, you know this well. Um, That's just true of four-year-olds. There was a study done of four-year-olds, and on average, they asked 437 questions in a day. Now, my daughter, when she was four, that was before breakfast, you know um, they're just people they they love to to ask questions kids know there's power in that people who have a great skill at influencing others also know this Uh, john maxwell who's kind of a, a leader guru on this topic said this good questions inform us but great questions transform us There's a huge difference between just a good question and great questions. And and Jesus wants us to, relationally, to be asking. You know where Dr. Maxwell got his understanding of that truth? He studied the life of Jesus. If you were to go through the four Gospels and count the number of questions that Jesus asked, it will number over 300. Just in the four Gospels. Jesus asked questions in response to questions that he got. It's just, it's, it's just interesting. Here, here's, here's just some, an example of, of some of the questions. Um, to the disciples in Matthew chapter 8, he asked this question, why are you so afraid? In Matthew chapter 16, to the apostle Peter, he asked, who do you say that I am? To the disciples in Matthew chapter 21, he says, do you believe? To James and John in Mark 10, he asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? To the rich man in Luke 18, he says, why do you call me good? In uh, John chapter 1, Jesus is speaking to some of the disciples of John the Baptist. He asks, what are you looking for? To the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 verse 7, he says to her, will you give me a drink? To a woman caught in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8, he says, woman, who condemns you? And in John chapter 5, verse 6, to a paralytic beside a a pool of water, he asked, do you want to get well? Which seems like a really strange question to someone who suffered from birth with paralysis. Now, when you think about all those questions, how many of those questions do you think Jesus knew the answer to? I think he knew the answer to, to all of them. So why in the world would you imagine Jesus spent so much of his ministry and teaching asking questions? You know, in the preaching classes that I attended in school and some seminars that I've been to 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 try to improve in communication, all of those places always kind of said this, that a good sermon, people walk away from it with clarity. Do you know who I think might disagree with that? Jesus. Jesus just might kind of disagree with that. Many times, his, even his own disciples, not just the crowds, they did, but many times even his own disciples would walk away from a teaching that Jesus gave and go, what in the world do I do with this? Where, where do I go from here? Friends, if you think deeply about this as you read the gospel and and you study the life and teaching of Jesus, you're going to see something. And this is something that I want to share with you that I've seen. And it's simply this. Jesus often seems more interested in conversation than immediate clarity. He often seems more interested in conversation than immediate clarity because Jesus knows something. Jesus knows that truth imposed seldom leads to truth received. Seldom does trying to impose truth on somebody lead to them receiving it. If you're a parent, you have kids in in your home, you need to hear me say this. This is a teaching from Jesus, I believe, that truth imposed seldom leads to truth received. You're not going to pound truth in anybody's head. So instead of just slamming people with uh, answers all the time, maybe we need to learn to ask some good questions. Some good questions of of other people. Maybe other people of different faith perspectives. Maybe uh, other people who have no faith perspective. Maybe instead of trying to give them our answers, what we need to do is start by asking them some questions. Like, so how did you reach that conclusion? How did you come to that? Not putting them down when you ask it, of course, but earnestly trying to understand the other person. You might learn something about them. You might might learn something about you. And then maybe follow, follow that question up with another kind of strategic question uh, like this. You know, if what you believe is true, where is it making the world better? Or can it? See, questions can be a tool that you use to draw somebody to open up so that you can have a conversation instead of, thinking that immediately they're going to walk away with some kind of clarity. Jesus knew this. And so Jesus asked lots of questions. I think there are some other questions that we need to get good at asking, and that's questions of ourselves. I think we need to get better at asking ourselves questions like, am I becoming more approachable to other people? Or am I putting people off? Am I becoming more aware of the hurt, what's going on around me? Am I, am I becoming a greater presence of listening? You know, do, do, I, do I appreciate people more, people who are different than me? Do I, am I saying thank you more? Am I responding that way? Who, who am I becoming? Am I becoming more like my Lord? What, what if we got better at asking, at asking others? So Jesus says, relationally to move from a judgmental heart to the gold you need to ask then he says seek seeking here has to do with people who may not be right near you someone that you may have to intentionally reach out to friends there's great power in asking but there's also great power in presence being present with people drawing near to people now in our day Sadly, it's so easy to become preoccupied instead of present. It, it's just, it, it just is. See, in Jesus' day, if you went to, to synagogue to worship, there would be a, literally a dividing wall between those who had been born Jewish and those who are Gentiles who came to worship the one true God. They were separated by a, a, a divider. There was this chasm between them until Jesus came. And if Jesus were here today, I think Jesus would tell us there's a great chasm that exists today called technology. Oftentimes, I think our phones come between us and the people that we are in the presence of, we're not present with, you know, that we can actually miss a person that is across the room, ignore them because we're preoccupied with tweeting and and, and texting, and Jesus says part of our relational world that moves us from hearts that are judgmental is to seek, become present where you are. Because you and I both know that you can be some place but not be there. We do it all the time in this world in which we live today. Now, those who study these realities tell us that from infancy... Our bodies are wired for connection. And so that when a mom and a dad look intently into the face of a little baby, psychologists tell us that something happens magically right there called attunement. And it's when there is this resonance between one life and another life, and, and it really is life-giving to the child. The same thing happens As we get older in in every other relationship. That's how we establish connections. And you know, we, we need to seek after people and literally show up. Show up for things in their life. Show up for ball games and plays or a concert. Have our hearts open up to them. Because the truth is everybody, you included, we all want, we all want to be wanted. And so there's a truth here for our day, I think, especially for those of us who follow Jesus. And it's this, we need to show up before we start to speak up. We need to show up in people's lives. We need to try to connect. We need to seek them. When Jesus came, he was asked one day, kind of, what's your mission, Jesus? And Jesus communicated his mission in Luke 19, verse 10. He said, I came to seek to seek, to move across a room to somebody. I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus himself, relationally, would seek after us. He's been seeking after you since the day you were born. That's good news that Jesus would do that. And today, I think what Jesus is saying to his followers, emulate me in this. Ask great questions. Seek. Don't, don't, don't uh, you know, uh, judge Seek in opposition to that. Seek as opposed to giving up on people. Seek as opposed to ignoring people. Seek, be present with them. And then Jesus says knock as a relational strategy to move from judging to the gold. He says knock. Where there is a dividing wall, where there is this separation, we need to be asking for invitation in to someone's life. Now, you know this. We live in a horribly dark world. And it would be so easy to just avoid, you know, or to just say, Red Rover, Red Rover, let me go bowl them over. But Jesus tells us we need to come at this differently. Jesus himself even modeled this for us differently. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, behold... I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus said, I'm knocking. There's a a divider between you and me. And so I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. He goes on to say, I'll have fellowship with him. Now, friends, this stands in opposition to what the hearers of Jesus' message on the hill that day were experiencing in real life. See, Remember, they lived in occupied territory. They were occupied by the Roman military, and a Roman soldier could come up to the house of a Hebrew, and not just knock, but just come on in, just bowl their way in, and demand a meal, and expect hospitality, and Jesus, Jesus is saying to the people on the hill that day, I don't roll like that. That's not the way of, of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to invite me in. I love the way that the the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard uh, spoke about these words from Revelation 3 about Jesus. He said this He said, All the power in the world, all the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart. It must be opened from the inside. You can't bang and pound and kick enough. To let somebody, to get somebody in, to let you into their lives. You've got to ask for an invitation. We you know, we we, we we've got to do this and, and we've got to love them as a way in. We've got to seek them as a way to share. We've got to we've got to seek and, and knock. In order to win the right to be heard. And we've got to see ourselves standing in kind of the middle. Living in the kingdom of heaven. While trying to pull people out of the world into that. And the way Jesus says that we do that strategically. Is we develop a lifestyle of asking, seeking and knocking. Now if you're looking for some help here. I want to commend to you two really great resources. The first resource is a book called Questioning Evangelism. It's by Randy Newsom and it, Newman, and it's it's an an interesting, engaging way. Uh, Matter of fact, it's subtitled Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. It's an engaging way to uh, greet people, to meet people, to get to know people by asking them strategic questions. This book will train you in the way of Jesus that way. And then the second book that I would commend to you, it's a bit headier, again, but it's by Dr. Willard. Um, It's The Allure of Gentleness, and it's very witty, it's brilliant, I think. He deals with evangelism and apologetics, um, and it just displays the, the wit and wisdom and attraction of Jesus in doing this. And so I would encourage both of those books to you to help you develop an asking, seeking, knocking strategy to move our hearts from hearts of judgmentalism to hearts that seek what's best for the other person. So hopefully you, you see that I didn't go too far off kilter on this ask, seek, knock thing. But some of you are saying, okay, Joe, what about verses, what about verses 9 through 11? How is that going to kind of figure in into this? And so let's read them. It says, Jesus said, which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Jesus is asking some rhetorical questions here. And I think what Jesus is doing is trying to help us understand. I think he's using an illustration that's going to incorporate prayer into our ask, seek, not relationship strategy. Jesus is saying, you know, what kind of parent What kind of parent would do something like this? Now, I know any time we start talking about, you know, good parents versus bad parents, that some people in our church family have been wounded significantly by a parent. I know that. And so sometimes even when we talk about our Heavenly Father being good, there's a difficult leap for some people, maybe even in this room. And so when Jesus was speaking these words, he, he knew that would be true. So we've got to see kind of the big picture contrast that Jesus is trying to point out here. In verse 10, he said, you know, if, if, if a child asks a parent for a fish, wh- who would give him a serpent? Who would do that is what Jesus is trying to, to get at so that we would think, well, anybody who would do that is just, they're messed up, man. They're just, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're just messed up. And then he contrasts this to verse 11 and says, if you then who are evil, and he's speaking to everybody on the hill that day, if you then, you know, he he painted this imagery of a really horrible person. He says, if you then who are evil, though you're broken, though you're, you know, stuck in your own wickedness, though you're messed up, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more, how much more does your good and perfect father in heaven want to give good things to those who will ask him. There's this great contrast here. This is what Jesus is doing. Now remember, it's in the context of judgment. He's moving us somewhere, and he's helping us see through this lens of how good our Father is. So that when we're thinking about asking, seeking, and knocking, we're going to want to involve God. We're going to want to seek him in prayer. And so what I think Jesus is using this illustration to say this is that If asking, seeking, and knocking works with the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, if you can ask and seek and knock in prayer to him and it moves the heart of God, how much more then could it possibly move the hearts of people who are created in the image of God? That it's a strategy that Jesus tells us to employ with our Father, but it's also a strategy to be involved relationally with others while at the same time interceding with God in our asking, seeking, and knocking, realizing that our desire is for everyone to live in the kingdom of God. But right now, we're living in a, in a world that's broken, where people have wronged us and people have hurt us and, and harmed us, and it was, it, it was broken and painful, and, and God, we got questions about all of this. But we stand in the middle, believing this, that God is present with us, that God is here, Jesus is saying with us, that God is good, that he loves us, that he's for us. Please hear me say this, when I believe that God is present, when I truly believe that he hears me and that he's good, I will give up control. I won't need to control the people or the circumstances around me when I truly, deeply believe that God is present, that he hears me, and that he is good. I can give up my job of judgment. I, don't, I can step back relationally and just ask questions, not controlling the, the whole conversation. I can seek people across the room that I may not know. And I cannot trying to tear down dividing walls. Now here's what I don't think Jesus is saying in this passage. Jesus is not saying if you pray for something, you're automatically always going to get it. I've heard some people teach this passage that way. That, that is not what Jesus is saying. You, you, you're not going to, and quite frankly, you should thank God that you don't get everything that you asked him for. If I got everything I had asked God for when I was 20, I would be a train wreck. I would just, I would be a a, a mess. And the truth is, for most of us, if we did get everything we asked for in prayer, we'd quit praying. We'd quit going to God because we'd have everything we wanted and then we think that would be enough. See, to think that you're wiser than God so that when you ask Him something, He has to give something to you that He must do it, no, no, no. If you believe that God is that powerful that he could do that, you also have to believe that he's wise enough to know whether or not he should give it to you. If he's that powerful, he's also that wise. Even Jesus did not get everything that he asked for when he was here in the flesh. So why do we think we're going to? And see, so Jesus, what he's saying here. Is that God loves giving good gifts to his people? Every time you see a father or a mother giving a gift to their kids, that's just simply a reflection of of the God of all creation who loves to give good gifts. And the Bible says how much more so he loves to do this. And so what that means is, is when I'm entering this moving from judgmental spirit, entering this asking, seeking relationship strategy, I can confidently approach God. I can go to God having confidence that he wants to set me free from a judgmental spirit. He wants to lead me to the gold where I'm thinking about how to treat people the way that I would like to be treated. I don't need to be the judge. I can stand in between two worlds. I don't have to bowl people over. I don't have to, you know, just sit on my hands and be silent. But I can say to God, God, please work in this. This questions I'm going to try to ask this person. Please be at work. God, please move. God, do something. And I just keep asking. And I just keep seeking. And I just keep knocking. And I keep Praying, believing that God is at work. So what if what Jesus is doing here in all of Matthew chapter 7, is and this particularly is using this to illustrate what asking, seeking, knocking looks like in the context of praying, asking God. Again, one of the great statements that Dallas Willard makes on prayer is this, prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. It's talking with God about what is taking place around us. See, the most important spiritual task in the life of apprentices of of Jesus is to continually be in communion with God through prayer while simultaneously extending our hands and our lives to the brokenness in this world, trusting that God is the one at work. And we see this in, in God's Word Jesus' half-brother, James, was inspired to write these words in James 1.17. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father. He loves giving good to his people. He loves that. And he loves when it passes our hearts to others. So as you pray, ask, seek, and knock, as you're living that out, Jesus is saying those are powerful prayers. Those are the kind of prayers that Jesus wants to answer. So, in in light of this, in in light of this asking, seeking, and knocking, in light of seeing how good your Heavenly Father is at wanting to grant you that kind of movement in your life, Jesus says in verse 12 In everything, therefore, in, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So how is this book in from judgment to this golden rule? How does Jesus get us from judgment? He, he says in everything. In, in everything that we do. Whether you're sleeping or eating or whatever, going to work, hanging out, where you live, work, and play. He says in everything, therefore treat people. Now I just give me just a half a second to get kind of greeky geeky on you again. Jesus could have used one of two words here. For people, He could have used the, uh, the word that has to do with kind of like your brothers, your tribe, your people, um, Philadelphos. He could have used that word. But that's not the word that Jesus chose to use here. Here Jesus uses the word anthropos. It means people too, but it means all people. It means all uh, of humanity. Not just your people. Not just people who look like you and talk like you and go to church like you do. He's talking about all people. And he says... What we need to do is we need to learn to interact with them in a way that we long to be interacted with. So in everything you do, with everyone you meet, do it that way. Not with a judgmental spirit, but to live in such a way that you're trying to think about, I want to be treated this way, so I'm going to treat them this way. I'm not going to bowl them over. I'm not going to just sit silently and ignore them. I'm going going to move. And see, Jesus is saying to us, we've got to learn how to humbly pursue others through asking, seeking, and knocking. We've got to confidentially, just with great confidence, uh, approach God in prayer. And then we need to intentionally choose to love. So what if we did that? You know, Jesus says to his followers, if you're going to be my disciples, you don't wait for the other person to do the right thing. You don't wait on somebody to show you love. You don't wait, you know, for things to get better. You, you, as a disciple of Jesus, we've got to go treat them actively, proactively, the way that we would want to be treated. We need to go first, is what Jesus says. We go, go do this. The apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you so love your neighbor as yourself. That's proactive. That's going after it. It's the same thing Jesus says when he, when he sums up the entire Old Testament, kind of the Cliff Notes version here in the Golden Rule. What do you want others to do for you? Okay, you go proactively. Do that to them. Jesus is saying, don't avoid them. Don't do the Red Rover, Red Rover thing. What he's saying is, go. Ask. Better question. Seek not to bring down walls. Pray. Ask God to intercede. And love. Love the way you'd want to be loved. Reach out to difficult people, hard people, broken people, all of them. Mother Teresa was one day asked, What do you see as you're walking the streets of Calcutta? and i loved her answer she said i see jesus dressed in a disguise i see it in the poverty i see it in the pain i see jesus dressed in disguise so river bluff here's kind of my prayer out of matthew chapter 7 it's a strange prayer i know but here's here's what i'm praying i'm praying to god red rover red rover send River Bluff right over. Not to bowl people over, not to sit silently and avoid them and ignore them, but to ask and to seek and to knock in confidence that our God is good and that he is at work drawing people to himself through us. That's your Father. That's his call on our lives. To move from spirits of judgment to the gold, baby. Go to the gold. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we come giving thanks for your goodness. We come in this moment believing that you are a good God. That you are good to us. That you have good for us. And that you have designed us for goodness in this world. Lord, your, your kingdom call on us is to move us from hearts that so harshly judge to hearts of gold that look at others and think of them in ways that I would want them to treat me. I'm going to treat them that way. I'm going to love them that way. I'm not going to ignore them. I'm going to I'm going to engage them relationally and ask good relation building questions and I'm going to seek those, God, that you put on my heart and I'm going to try to knock down dividing walls by seeking invitation. God, we we come in this moment believing that you were that good. That we can come and we can ask you and seek for you and knock and you're going to open it for us. God, help us believe that that's the same strategy that you've given us to move us God to where you want us to be in your kingdom so I pray right now Lord that we would come in this moment that we would close out our time out of your word celebrating that you are that good that you really do have this great plan for us so that we don't have to live in the brokenness of a judgmental spirit but we can live in the beauty of of that golden rule where we can treat others the way we would love to be treated God draw us near draw us into your goodness we come Jesus believing that you are good and that you have good for us now it's in your name that we pray